Dawnbringer. Part 1, The Coming of Chaos. Prologue, quoting from the Chronicle of the Black Sword. For 10,000 years did the bright empire of Malnibane flourish. 10,000 years before history was recorded. Or, 10,000 years after history had ceased to be chronicled, reckon it how you will. Only Malnibane ruled the earth for a hundred centuries, and then, shaken by the casting of frightful runes, attacked by powers greater than man, even she tottered and fell. When that time came, there was a great movement upon the earth and above it. The destiny of men and gods was hammered out upon the forge of fate, and monstrous wars were brewed and mighty deeds performed. And in this time, which was called the Age of the Young Kingdoms, there rose up many heroes. But chief of these was Elric, last ruler of Malnibane, who bore the rune-carved black sword. Elric of Malnibane, proud prince of ruins, last lord of a dying race, sorcerer and slayer of kin, despoiler of his homeland, crimson-eyed albino, who had within him a greater destiny than he knew. And above the rolling earth, great clouds tumbled down. Bolts of lightning charged groundwards to slash the midnight black. Split trees and twain, and sear through roofs that cracked and broke. Dark mass of forest trembled with the shock, and out of it crept six hunched, unhuman figures who paused to stare beyond the low hills towards the outline of a city. It was a city of squat walls and slender spires, of graceful towers and domes, and it had a name which the leader of the creatures knew. Car Lark, by the Weeping Waste, it was called. Not of natural origin, the storm was ominous. It groaned around the city of Carlark as the creatures skulked past the open gates and made their way through shadows towards the elegant palace where Elric slept. The leader raised an axe of black iron in its clawed hand. The group came to a stealthy halt and regarded the sprawling palace which lay on a hill surrounded by languorously scented gardens. The earth shook as lightning lashed it, and thunder prowled across the turbulent sky. Chaos has aided us in this matter, the leader grunted. See, already the guards fall in magic slumber, and our entrance is thus made simple. The lords of chaos are good to their servants. He spoke the truth. Some supernatural force had been at work, and the warriors guarding Elric's palace had dropped to the ground their snores echoing the thunder. The servants of Chaos crept past the prone guards into the main courtyard, and from there into the darkened palace. Unerringly, they climbed twisted staircases, moved softly along gloomy corridors to arrive at length outside the room where Elric and his wife lay in uneasy sleep. As the leader laid a hand upon the door, a voice cried out from within the room. What's this? 
What things of hell disrupt my rest? He sees us, sharply whispered one of the creatures. No, the leader said. He sleeps. But such a sorcerer as the Selrak is not so easily lulled into a stupor. We had best make speed, do our work, for if he wakes it will be the harder. He twisted the handle and eased the door open, his axe half raised. Beyond the bed, heaped with tumbled furs and silks, lightning gashed the night again, showing the white face of the albino close to that of his dark-haired wife. Even as they entered, he rose stiffly in the bed and his crimson eyes opened, staring out at them. For a moment the eyes were glazed and then the albino forced himself awake, shouting, Be gone, you creatures of my dreams! The leader cursed and leapt forward. But he had been instructed not to slay this man. He raised his axe threateningly. Silence, your guards cannot aid you. Alric jumped from the bed and grasped the thing's wrist, his face close to the fanged muzzle. Because of his albinoism, he was physically weak and required magic to give him strength. But so quickly did he move that he had wrested the axe from the creature's hand and smashed the shaft between its eyes. Snarling, it fell back, but its comrades moved forward. There were five of them, huge muscles moving beneath their furred skins. Auric clove the skull of the first as others grappled with him. His body was spattered with the thing's blood and brains, and he gasped in disgust at the fetid stuff. He managed to wrench the arm away, and bring the axe up and down into the collarbone of another. But then he felt his legs gripped, and he fell, confused but still battling. Then there came a great blow on his head. Pain blazed through him. He made an effort to rise, failed, and fell back, insensible. Thunder and lightning still disturbed the night when, with throbbing head, he awoke and got slowly to his feet, using a bedpost as support. He stared dazedly around him. Saracenia was gone. The only other figure in the room was the stiff corpse of the beast he had killed. His black-haired girl-wife had been abducted. Shaking, he went to the door and flung it open, calling for his guards. But none answered him. His rune-sword Stormbringer, hung in the city's armoury, would take time to get. His throat tight with pain and anger, he ran down the corridors and stairways, dazed with anxiety, trying to grasp the implications of his wife's disappearance. Above the palace, thunder still crashed, eddying about in the noisy night. The palace seemed deserted, and he had the sudden feeling that he was completely alone, that he had been abandoned. But as he ran out into the main courtyard and saw the insensible guards, he realised at once that their slumber could not be natural. Realisation was coming even as he ran through the gardens, through the gates and down to the city. But there was no sign of his wife's abductors. Where had they gone? He raised his eyes to the shouting sky, his white face stark and twisted with frustrated anger. There was no sense to it. Why had they taken her? He had enemies, he knew, but none who could summon such supernatural help. 
who apart from himself could work this mighty sorcery that made the skies themselves shake in a city sleep. To the house of Lord Voashun, chief senator of Karlark and father of Tsaratinia, Ulrich ran, panting like a wolf. He banged with his fists upon the door, yelling at the astonished servants within. Open, it is Elric, hurry! The doors gaped back and he was through them. Lord Voashun came stumbling down the stair into the chamber, his face heavy with sleep. What is it, Elric? Summon your warriors, Saracenia has been abducted. Those who took her were demons and may be far from here by now, but we must search in case they escape by land. Lord Voashun's face became instantly alert, and he shouted terse orders to his servants between listening to Elric's explanation of what had happened. And I must have entrance into the armory, Elric concluded. I must have Stormbringer. But you renounced the blade for fear of its evil power over you, Lord Voashun reminded him quietly. Elric replied impatiently. Aye, but I renounced the blade for Tsaratinia's sake, too. I must have Stormbringer if I am to bring her back. The logic is simple. Quickly, give me the key. In silence, Lord Voashun fetched the key and led Elric to the armory where the weapons and armour of his ancestors was held, unused for centuries. Through the dusty place strode Elric to a dark alcove that seemed to contain something which lived. He heard a soft moaning come from the great black battle blade as he reached out a slim-fingered white hand to take it. It was heavy, yet perfectly balanced. A two-handed broadsword of prodigious size with its wide crosspiece and its blade smooth and broad, stretching for over five feet from the hilt. Near the hilt, mystic runes were engraved, and even Elric did not know what they fully signified. Again I must make use of you, Stormbringer, he said as he buckled the sheath about his waist. And I must conclude that we are too closely linked now for less than death to separate us. And with that he was striding from the armory and back to the courtyard, where mounted guards were already sitting nervous steeds awaiting his instructions. Standing before them he drew Stormbringer so that the sword's strange black radiance flickered about him, his white face as pallid as bleached bones staring at the horsemen. You go to chase demons this night. Search this countryside. Scour forest and plain for those who have done this thing to our princess. Though it's likely that her abductors used supernatural means to make their escape, we cannot be sure. So search, and search well. All through the raging night they searched, but they could find no trace of either the creatures or Elric's wife. When dawn came, a smear of blood in the morning sky, his men returned to Karlark, where Elric awaited them, now filled with the necromantic vitality which his sword supplied. Lord Elric, shall we retrace our trail and see if daylight yields a clue? cried one. He does not hear you, another murmured as Elric gave no sign. But then Elric turned his pain-racked head, and he said bleakly, Search no more. I have had time to meditate and must seek my wife with the aid of sorcery. Disperse. You can do nothing further. Then he left them and went back towards his palace, 
knowing that there was still one way of learning where Tsaratinia had been taken. It was a method which he ill-liked, yet it would have to be employed. Curtly upon returning, Auric ordered everyone from his chamber, barred the door and stared down at the dead thing. Its congealed blood was still on him, but the axe with which he had slain it had been taken away by its comrades. Auric prepared the body, stretching out its limbs on the floor. He drew the shutters of the windows so that no light filtered into the room and lit a brazier in one corner. It swayed on its chains as the oil-soaked rushes flared. He went to a small chest by the windows and took out a pouch. From this he removed a bunch of dried herbs and with a hasty gesture flung them onto the brazier so that they gave off a sickly odour and the room began to fill with smoke. And he stood over the corpse, his body rigid, and began to sing an incantation in the old language of his forefathers, the sorcerer emperors of Malnibane. The song seemed scarcely akin to human speech, rising and falling from a deep groan to a high-pitched shriek. The brazier spread flaring red light over Alric's face, and grotesque shadows skipped about the room. On the floor, the dead corpse began to stir, its ruined head moving from side to side. Alric drew his rune sword and placed it before him, his two hands on the hilt. Arise, soulless one, he commanded. Slowly, with jerky movements, the creature raised itself stiffly upright and pointed a clawed finger at Elric, its glazed eyes staring as if beyond him. All this, it whispered, was preordained. Think not that you can escape your fate, Elric of Malnibane. You have tampered with my corpse, and I am a creature of chaos. My masters will avenge me. How? Your destiny is already laid down. You will know soon enough. Tell me, dead one, why did you come to abduct my wife? Who sent you hither? Where has my wife been taken? Three questions, Lord Elric, requiring three answers. You know that the dead who have been raised by sorcery can answer nothing directly. Aye, that I know, so answer as you can. Then listen well, for I may recite only once my reed, and then must return to the nether regions where my being may peacefully rot to nothing. Listen. Beyond the ocean brews a battle. Beyond the battle blood shall fall. If Elric's kinsman ventures with him, bearing a twin of that he bears, to a place where man forsaken dwells the one who should not live, then a bargain will be entered. Elric's wife shall be restored. With this the thing fell to the floor and did not stir thereafter. Elric went to the window and opened the shutters. Used as he was to enigmatic verse omens, this one was difficult to unravel. As daylight entered the room, the rushes spluttered and the smoke faded. Beyond the ocean, 
while there were many oceans. He resheathed his rune sword and climbed onto the disordered bed to lie down and contemplate the reed. At last, after long minutes of his contemplation, he remembers something he had heard from a traveller who had come to Karlark from Tarakesh, a nation of the western continent beyond the Pale Sea. The traveller had told him how there was trouble brewing between the land of Darajor and the other nations of the west. Darajor had contravened treaties she had signed with her neighbouring kingdoms, and had signed a new one with the theocrat of Pantang. Pantang was an unholy island dominated by its dark aristocracy of warrior wizards. Its capital, of Huamgal, was called the City of Screaming Statues, and until recently its residents had little contact with the folk of the outside world. Jagreen Lern was the new theocrat, and an ambitious man. His alliance with Darajor could only mean that he sought more power over the nations of the young kingdoms. The traveller had said that strife was sure to break out at any moment, since there was ample evidence that Darajor and Pantang had entered a war alliance. Now, as his memory improved, Ulrich related this information with the news he has had recently, that Queen Yashana Jacor, a neighbouring kingdom to Darajor, had recruited the aid of Divim Slorm and his Imridian mercenaries, and Divim Slorm was Ulrich's only kinsman. This meant that Jacor must be preparing for battle against Darajor. The two facts were too closely linked with the prophecy to be ignored. Even as he thought about it, he was gathering his clothes together and preparing for a journey. There was nothing for it but to go to Jacor and speedily, for there he was sure to meet his kinsmen. There also there would soon be a battle if all the evidence were true. Yet the prospect of the journey, which would take many days, caused a cold ache to grow in his heart, and he thought of the weeks to come in which he would not know how his wife feared. No time for that, he told himself as he laced up his black quilted jacket. Action is all that's required of me now, and speedy action. He held the sheathed rune blade before him, staring beyond it into space. I swear by Ariok that those who have done this, whether they be man or immortal, shall suffer from their deed. Hear me, Ariok. That is my oath. But his words found no answer, and he sensed that Ariok, his patron and demon, had either not heard him, or else heard his oath and was unmoved. Then he was striding from the death-heavy chamber, yelling for his horse. <laughs>